If you have your Bibles, we're looking in Ephesians chapter 3. We've been working our way through the little letter to the Ephesian church written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. Our, our primary text will be Ephesians 3 and verse 10. Through the church, the manifold and wonderful wisdom of God is now made known to the rulers and authorities, or some versions have the principalities and powers, that is in the heavenly places, which most commentaries will say means the invisible realm. So God is making his wisdom known now through the church. Uh, he's making this wisdom known to the rulers and authorities or the principalities and powers in the invisible realm. God is using the church as a kind of uh, theater. And uh, the angels are the audience and he says that that's what he's now doing through the church. The apostle Paul has been in this second and third chapter, been talking about how Gentiles have been introduced to the people of God. We, we have been brought in. You would normally, if you were in the first century, you wouldn't think about God's chosen people as including Gentiles in Michigan. But you would think of Jews and descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he says that we have, this is in verse 5 and 6, he says, This was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it is now revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This secret, this mystery, this secret is that the Gentiles, verse 6, are fellow heirs or equal partners, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I, I think last Sunday we underlined that phrase, through the gospel, <clears throat> in, in chapter 3, verse 6. Because the, the great mystery that is now revealed is not that Gentiles are included with the Jews because on occasion there were Gentiles in the Old Testament church. The great mystery is not even that they are equal, although that is phenomenal. He says the, in verse 6 that Gentiles are equal heirs, fellow heirs, members of the same body. But the great mystery is that we are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now that's the great mystery that was not known before that God has now revealed to apostles and prophets. That it's through the gospel. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to keep the law of Moses. There's a whole new covenant that has emerged in which you can now be fully accepted 
and be part of God's family through the gospel. Now that was a mystery and a secret not known in the Old Testament, that the Old Testament didn't foresee that, at least as it is today. It's Acts 13.39 says, By him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. The law of Moses wouldn't do it. Uh, Romans 10.4 says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Isn't that amazing that you can come to Christ and, and, and be righteous in a moment of faith without keeping one single Mosaic law in the Old Testament? It's, it's amazing that in one, you don't, you know, in the Old Testament you had to go, you had to go to the temple. You had to move geographically. You had to go to Jerusalem, go up to the temple, bring a sacrifice. Did you know you don't have to go anywhere? Now, some, some churches have got it to where you have to move from back there to up here. You've got to have some geographical movement. Not in the gospel. Acts 13.39, By him all that believe are justified from all things by which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. When Jesus died, that rendered all your acts of service irrelevant to your favor before God. You are now not only part of God's people by through faith in Christ, but a full-fledged member of the chosen people as in the Old Testament. It's as if you were born a child of Abraham. Because the blood of Jesus has more merit than the blood of Abraham. So it's an amazing thing, and this was hidden. This idea that the Old Covenant law with its Sabbath and its geography and its priesthood and, and law, this was hidden that God would, there would be a day in which the entire structure of Judaism would be replaced by the new covenant or new testament. And that's what we have today. To move from Sabbath to Sunday would be today if somebody tried to move us from Sunday to Monday. How would you do such a thing? Who would predict such a thing? And yet we did. And, and when Jesus came, the Sabbath, which was the signal of the Old Covenant, uh, perished, and the, and the Sunday, the first day of the week, rather than the last day of the week, the first day of the week became the day of God's people's meeting together. Now this truth of full acceptance in the gospel was so hidden, verse 9 says, Paul was raised up to bring this to light to everyone, uh, and it was hidden in God, verse 9 says. It was hidden in God. It was so hidden that verse 10 says, not even the principalities and powers knew about it. Angels did not know it. They, they did not grasp the fact that there's a New Testament coming. They didn't know about 
the new covenant age and God didn't tell them. But they, they are eager to learn it. Because verse 10 says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known, a word which means fully known. It can be learned. The church is like a classroom to these rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm, the invisible realm. Angels watch the church. Daniel chapter 4, verse 13. I gave you this reference, but I wanted to... I wanted to put this up here for you. Uh, if you wasn't here last week, Daniel 4.13 gives a name for angels you may not be aware of. Daniel 4.13, I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. An angel here is called a watcher. <laughs> they stare at us. The church. See, God is holding up the church as, as an illustration. And he says to angels, look at this. So they are watching us. And there's an interest, interesting verse in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 that uh, I, I thought I'd put in front of you. Um, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11. He talks about some of the uh, women in the church. And he says, look, there's a head of Christ, which is the Father. There's a head of man, which is Christ. And the head of the woman, which is the man. I don't want to get into a debate on that. I'm just giving you what the apostle says here. Anyway, I'm glad he wrote it, not me. And, and he says, uh, this is in verse, 1 Corinthians 11, 8, For the woman was not made, or for the man was not made from the woman, but the woman was made from the man. And what he, what he means there is, in Genesis, God made man first. And then he took the woman out of the side of the man. So the man was there first. And there is, a, there is an order. There's God the Father, God the Son. There's man, the woman. And they are to align themselves up under one another. The woman follows the man as the man follows Christ. And Christ follows the Father. So there's a holy alignment. There's an order of authority. And some of the women in Corinth were, uh, in the worship service, they were... Um, uh, speaking out and interrupting and talking in tongues. First Corinthians 14 says they were talking in tongues out of order. And they were disruptive. And Paul says, look, there's an order and we need to stand, get into our alignment, stay in our lane. Because he says, why should we do it? And this is amazing. This, the woman should have authority over her head, that is, be under her head, as the husband is under Christ, Christ under the Father. The woman should be under the head. Don't get out of order. Why? Because of the angels. What? <laughs> what a, where did that come from? Because of the angels. What angels? They're watching. 
See, whenever you have guests, don't you want your kids to behave? Don't you? How many of you parents, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you parents has ever said, okay, now we have this couple coming over, and, uh, and I want you to behave yourself. I want you to say yes, sir, no, sir. I want you to be polite. Don't throw things. Don't throw your food against the wall. I, I want you to settle down because we've got guests coming. Paul says, look, you have guests in the worship service. So keep order. Don't embarrass God the Father in front of the angels. That's Paul's point. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. Um, look at, uh, put this next verse up, 1 Peter 1.12. First Peter 1 Peter 1.12, Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, he, he's speaking of the Old Testament prophets, but they ministered to us, the things reported to you by them that have preached the gospel to you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Which things the angels desire to look into? The, the gospel. They, we bring the gospel, and he says, those are the things, things about the gospel, that the angels desire to look into. They're fascinated with the gospel. It amazes them. Uh, see, again, I'm, I'm trying to bring out this idea of Paul has in verse 10. Why is God making these things known to the principalities and powers in the invisible realm? He the angels are fascinated. This is the first time now that they are starting to see history come together. They're starting to see things make sense. They're starting to see, to connect what God the Father is doing because He never told them. God never told them. And this word, they desire to look into it in 1 Peter 1.12 is the Greek word epithumia. Let me give you a little technical point. Thumia, we actually we get the word thermos from that. That which is bottled up. Epi is a little prefix which intensifies it, so it means they are they are just they are full of passion to know something. When it says they want to look into it, it's not a glance. This is they are passionately focused on the gospel and the church and the redemption that's going on there. They're mesmerized by it. We get bored in church. Angels are excited. They, they stand up here. They want to watch my notes. No. <laughs> uh-uh. They get it first. This, so this word... Epithumia is also used in Luke 15, 16, where it says the prodigal son, when he was far away from the father's house and he was hungry and the famine hit, and it says he was longing to be fed even with the husk that the pigs did eat. No one gave him anything. Longing. It's like a hunger. That's the same word used, epithumia. In 1 Peter 1.12, angels want to know the gospel like that prodigal wanted some food in his empty stomach. 
This word is used, Matthew 5, 28. Listen to this, epithumia. I say to you, whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery in his heart. Lust. That's epithumia. Angels have a kind of lust. Not in a bad way, but they, they have a passion for that which they cannot obtain. It's forbidden. It's even translated in Romans 7, 7 as covet. Epithumia. I would not have known sin except through, through the law. I was, it says, thou shalt not covet. That's the word epithumia. So the angels covet our privilege. They stare at us. They envy us in a sense. They are fascinated by us. Now, let me just give to you, and we'll walk through these fairly quickly, but I want to give you five things that they specifically are amazed at. What angels see in the church. Here's five things that that fascinate the angels. Number one, this idea of mercy, the concept of mercy. Angels, now remember angels don't get mercy. Way before Genesis chapter 1, there was a rebellion in heaven. This is uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 12. It says the, the dragon, which is Satan, he rebelled against God and swept a third of all the angels with him, Revelation 12, 9, and the, he was cast out and the angels were cast, his angels were cast out with him. So a third of the angels parted company with heaven and went into the earth and are now called demons. There is not one instance in the Old or New Testaments where God ever comes to these fallen angels and says, it's okay, come, come home. There is no invitation to fallen angels to get mercy. A fallen angel is fallen for eternity. There's no mercy. They don't have the concept of mercy. The just justice. It's not unjust. They don't blame God. I made my choice. I made my bed. Now I lay in it. Um, they observed when Adam sinned, he was ejected from the garden. They observed in Noah's day when, the, when they became so violent and wicked and the imaginations of their heart were so wicked that God sent the flood and wiped out humanity and started over with Noah and his family. They watched him rain down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. They watched him bring ten plagues on Egypt and drown the entire Egyptian army in the Red Sea. They knew he cast out the Canaanites because of their perversions and their sins and gave the land over to Israel. Then they watched Israel go into idolatry and God used the Babylonians to deport them out of judgment. They, they knew that they were slaves there in Babylon for 70 years and Ezra and Nehemiah brought them back and they still sinned and God quit talking to them in Malachi chapter 4. Angels know holiness and judgment. And now all of a sudden, here comes a group of wicked sinners, Gentiles, and God says, 
I'm going to extend grace, redemption, and mercy to you. And they come in, and God not only forgives them, He promotes them to be His own children. And angels are like, wait, what? Both fallen and unfallen angels cannot get over mercy. Did you? The angels will say to one another, did you see that? Second, they are mesmerized by this idea of our sonship, that we are in the family of God. Remember that Paul says, God revealed this to me. In verse 5, this, this mystery of Gentiles being made fully full members of God's family, verse 5, this was not made known to the sons of men, sons of men in other generations, as it's now revealed, to the apostles, holy apostles and prophets. This, this idea of full acceptance be, through the gospel, this was not made known before, and it was not made known to angels. God, when He did reveal it, did not reveal it to angels, gave it to the apostles and prophets to go and preach the gospel. He did not tell it to angels. Angels have to learn it from us by watching us. And what they hear is Jesus teaching His people to address God, the God who brought all these judgments in the Old Testament, address Him as our Father who art in heaven. And the angels are like, did he, did he just say Father? The glorious God, the holy, holy, holy. That's what angels say, holy, holy, holy. In Isaiah 6, angels don't get, how can a created being become a child of the Father? It's through God the Son. Hebrews 1.5 says, To which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, and this day I have caused you to be born again? Here's a third thing that amazes the angels, and that is the authority of the believer. Angels do not have authority over other angels. They do not have authority... Unfallen angels do not have authority over fallen angels. Remember this in Jude? When the angel said to Satan as they fought over the body of Moses, the angel said, may the Lord rebuke you. Why didn't the angel rebuke him? But we have authority over evil spirits and fallen angels. Luke 10, 17, the disciples come back. They're all excited. Lord, even the uh, demons are subject to us through your name. And Jesus said this to them. He said, and this is for all of us, Luke 10, 17, I give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Ah, some nights 
I'm thankful for that verse. Seem like I get in battle some nights. See, he says, I give you authority to tread, the power to tread on these serpents and scorpions, these evil, evil spirits are like serpents and scorpions. He said, and, and they will not hurt you. You tread on them. You will hurt them. Demons are afraid of the church. Here's a fourth thing, is the future. Angels look at the church and they're amazed at the future that we have. 1 Corinthians 6 says, he's writing to the Corinthian church where they are in a fuss. You ever known a church to get in a fuss? And uh, Paul writes to them and he says, don't you know the saints will judge the world, the world will be judged by you. Are you unworthy to, to judge them the smallest matters? Don't you know that we, 1 Corinthians 6, 3, will even judge angels? We will be in charge of angels. 1 Corinthians 6, 3. And by the way, our future is to rule over angels. And one of the things that goes with that, I, I want to just add this, and that is that we have a reunion, the concept of a reunion. Uh, many of you, I'm sure, have lost loved ones who've gone to be with the Lord and they, were, they, they died believers in Christ. The Bible teaches we will see them again. Amen? But there are angels who fail. Revelation 12, 9, one-third, the Satan... Angels were, certain angels were cast out with him. They're, these angels fail with Satan. They, the, they had friends in heaven. They had angel friends. No reunion. No, no reunion with angels. They have nothing to look forward to. When we lose a loved one, we don't lose them. We'll see them again. My uncle died, uh, uncle, his name is Claude, but we called him Uncle Buck. And uh, he, he was 84 years old, deacon in his church. And um, he was one of my favorite ones actually growing up. And uh, um, down in White Pine, Tennessee. He was a Christian man. My cousin that just loves the Lord, uh, Glenda Sue, was at his bedside. She was there by herself, and she told us, my sister, who then related to me, she said when my dad, my Uncle Buck, the last seconds of his life, he reached up. He was like in a comatose state, but he, she said he reached up to shake, look like he was shaking a hand. She thought... Dad, what are, you, what are you doing? You okay? And, he, and then he reached up and made a hugging motion. And she said, see, he, his wife died about two years ago. His sister died about three or four years ago. He had a brother who died. He had, a, he had friends who died. 
He had a mother and father who died. My own mother, his sister, had died. He was shaking hands with friends and greeting loved ones even before he was totally out of the body. <laughs> reunion. A glorious reunion. Angels don't know that. And angels look at us and they think, dudes, y'all really need to get happier. <laughs> You're way too sad for what you got going on as a church in Jesus Christ. One other thing, we're free. Angels look at us and they're amazed at our freedom from condemnation. When you, look at, when you read Revelation 12, you can read this when you get home, verses 1 to 10, you'll find that when Jesus ascended to heaven, Satan lost his position by which he accuses the brothers before God. In Job 1, when, when it says the angels gathered in front of God, Satan was among them and he was accusing Job. Now that's a pattern in the Old Testament. Satan was always the accuser of the brethren. But Revelation 12.10 says when Jesus comes and ascends to heaven before the Father and represents us as our advocate... Now has come salvation, now strength, now the kingdom of God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them in the Old Testament before God day and night. When the New Testament age has come, Satan is cast out of the presence of God. He can now come and accuse you to yourself. He cannot accuse you to God because when Jesus came and ascended to heaven, He lost His access to heaven. And angels look at us and like, Wow. It's like you're going into court and the prosecutor doesn't show up. Ha! <laughs> Who's going to win that case? But you don't know what I've done. It don't matter. You don't have a prosecutor in the judge, in the courtroom of heaven. You look over and there's Jesus, your advocate, your lawyer, and he looks over and he smiles. Good to see you. And you look on the other side and you're trying to find Satan, you're a prosecutor, and he's, oh, he was cast out. Yeah, disqualified. He's disbarred. <laughs> Amen. Amen. He, he's been disbarred. So the angels look at us, they look at our mercy, our status as sons, they look at our authority over the fallen angels, they look at our future, they look at our freedom, and they think, wow. Some of you know, most of you probably know, that this past um, March, well actually back in 2011, our our bank came to us because we owed... $1.6 $1.6 million on the two locations. We've got two locations. And we've got about 17 and a half acres and, and uh, together everything was $1.6 million. That was our, and our monthly payment was like $12,000. <laughs> so anyway, I have to laugh to keep from crying. But <clears throat> our bank came to us because they knew we were stressed and we'd been praying about this for actually praying and fasting for several years. And they said, your appraisals 
our, our the, pro, the value of the property is going down, and we want out. And so what the bank said was, we want you to bring us an offer. You go get an offer. And I said, how much? They said, get an offer. So we went back to the bank with an offer of like 450000 We owed $1.6 million. And uh, I said, you said bring an offer. <laughs> Here's the offer. They said, we'll take it. I'm like, good. We will write off $1.1 million. So I said, okay. <laughs> and we, we went in to settle it, get the papers, the exact figures, because I had down, they would be marking off like $1,163,000 in 84 cents. I mean, and when I went in there, she said, uh, okay, here's the settlement statement. And it was, it had an extra charge. They were going to knock off $1,160,000, but it had a charge of $3,000, around $3,000. I noticed it. I said, oh, there's $3,000 on here. I, what is that? She said, it's for appraisals. And then she looked at me and she said, Mr. Rednauer, we're giving you a million one hundred and sixty three thousand dollars. Don't quibble. Ooh. I said, okay. Not gonna quibble. I just take that money. Another, another load. <laughs> One more load. <laughs> truck, truck. <laughs> here, now here is my, here is my illustration. If you have someone it gets a parking spot or dings your door on your new car or shorts you a dollar in cash or throws paper in your yard or throws up in your car. I mean, I don't know all the things that can happen. Guys, we have got to get our, we got to look like angels look. Our mercy, look at the mercy. Look at the status as sons. Look at the authority, the future, the freedom. So God doesn't give us everything we want. So there's some little thing twist in life. So what? Don't quibble. Don't quibble. Look at the load of benefits and blessing He's poured out on us as a church of Jesus Christ. How can we 
complain about some of the things that we whine about. Let's let our horizon be filled with his word.